Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. I think that we have a real call to action ahead of us is that we have to hold ourselves accountable. We have to hold others accountable. And as an industry, that's the mantra. Well, my call to action would be If you're in the profession, it's a wake-up call about which trade organizations you want to give your money to, how you want to participate in those, how you want to be affiliated with them. Because until all this happened, it was just like, oh, I just, you know, I just write a check. I don't know what's going on. I've never really looked into it. I've never explored it. So I think whether you're in PR or any other profession... You need to hold your trade organizations accountable and really pay attention to what they're doing. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm joined here, as always, by my colleague, the lovely Mary Beth West, Fletcher (laughs) Senior Strategist. It's the month that we're celebrating women's 100th anniversary of voting in America. It is. Yes, I know. Hey there, Kelly. Indeed, we are. Listeners, we are celebrating women's right to vote in the United States of America. And we are recording this episode of Misinterpreted today from East Tennessee, which played a unique role in the passage of the 19th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which was ratified today as we are recording August 18th. But it was August 18th, 1920, 100 years ago. We will air this episode on August 26th, which is actually Women's Equality Day. I think I just realized that it was August 18th and we're actually recording on the 18th. Yes. Super cool. Yeah. So Tennessee's role has an amazing history. So, of course, our agency, Fletcher PR, is a Tennessee-based PR firm, and we are focused on marketing to women. Everything we do always has a lens to how she processes, information, right. makes decisions, etc. So this really ties into lending a powerful voice to women in the marketplace. So it's exciting to celebrate the 19th Amendment's history and to take yeah. a look back on it because I'm not from Tennessee. So, you know, I went back and read the whole story about the role Tennessee played. We've had some previous episodes that have discussed this issue, but yeah. this month of all months and in 2020 being the year of COVID and just canceled year. Yes. (laughs) And with the impact on women and work from home disproportionately impacting many women's career trajectories. Let's talk about where we are. I have friends who are going through a lot of this decision making. Yeah. Yeah, And it's not that men are not being impacted because they are. I mean, we all are, especially individuals who have children at home and just especially young, young, young children at home. I mean, there are just a lot of different consideration factors and career impacts that are coming alongside that. But I just did a little bit of very quick research, had found a Wall Street Journal story for us to take a look at, but that was published on July 21st of this year that was entitled, Women's Careers Could Take Long-Term Hit from coronavirus pandemic, and it's penned by Lauren Weber. And it was talking about four specific items, and I'll just kind of give the Cliff's Notes version here, but it says that 
Because of traditional gender roles and pay disparities, many women find themselves in tough positions when considering childcare and their careers. And we can kind of talk about these one by one, but that's certainly one, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I mean, you have staff, and I think a lot of our colleagues in the business have staff who are very much impacted oh, by yes. this. Absolutely. And the reason this is relevant is because 60 to 80% of the PR industry is made up of women. That's right. So we are disproportionately impacted by far in the PR industry. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, so our industry is really absorbing the brunt of this across all of these factors that I'm about to mention. So every single one of these, it's really hitting our industry in a way that's far different from most others. So Another factor that was mentioned in the Wall Street Journal story, it says women are leaving the workforce at a slightly higher rate than men. And there were just some very specific statistics that counted how women were leaving the workforce in a different way than men were as a result of this whole work from home or just leaving the workforce as a result of COVID writ large. So that's going to impact our industry as well. In addition, because their male partners earn more to begin with, some women feel forced to sacrifice their own career goals and putting that on the back burner. In addition, women are doing, (laughs) this is always a good one, women are doing far more domestic labor than men. Shocking. Well, except in my house. (laughs) In my house, I do 100% of the domestic labor because it's just me. You're right. Well, my my husband will be the first to tell you that he did almost all of the laundry this past weekend. And um, And he gets a medal for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Well, I wanted to back up to the one you said before about male partners earn more. So some women feel forced to sacrifice their own career goals. Well, Mm -hmm. I just want to point out, because this is one thing that we point out to clients since our expertise and, you know, our core skill set is reaching women and communicating with diverse audiences of women is that, you know, slightly less than 50% of women in this country are not married. Right. So, and then you have to take into consideration same-sex couples, um, single moms, women who just decide not to get married at all. So what if somebody as a single mom has a couple kids at home and the husband took off? Or the partner took yeah, off. Yeah, there are no choices. No. I mean, there, yeah, yeah. It's not like there is there is just this bevy of options, and they have all these just choices before them that they can pick from. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I think that employers have got to have more flexibility. I know for us, I'm very flexible because I'm like, hey, the, what we do, if you can get your job done, you do not have to be sitting butt in seat from eight thirty to five thirty every day. If you want to get up and work from I don't know, six to eight and get your kids up or whatever, just get the job done. I don't think all employers offer that kind of flexibility and it's going to be more important now than ever. I think so too. And so, you know, it's, it's articles like this and just the fact that 2020 is such an odd year and it's such a strange year to be celebrating this 100 year milestone because of these situational factors that our society, our global society and certainly the United States finds itself within. It's kind of serendipitous, right. actually. So these are some important systemic and current events issues 
related to women's ability to participate in the workforce right, right. with serious economic consequences. And those consequences have ripple effects on the entire economy right. and you know our families. So we also have other issues on top of these issues that make the problem even more complicated. Mm-hmm. And let me just preface this by saying we are not male bashers. I love men. I really do. Most men, not all men, but yeah, you know, I it's not like I have a problem with men. I'm not a crazy male basher, but this isn't about that. This is about just the facts, ma'am. Okay, mm-hmm. the facts. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the misogyny that's going on in the world of business and in the world of advertising and public relations specifically, since that's our industry. Right. And I think that we just have to look at statistics. And I did come across one industry article that was written just last year in 2019 by a gentleman, Seth Ehrenstein, who is head of PR News, one of our key industry publications. He had written an article about top women in PR speak. The onus is on us and the industry to close the leadership gap, the gender gap. And he had written about a number of different key statistics, the fact that the McKinsey study actually had come out in 2018 saying that 75% of CEOs include gender equality in their top 10 business priorities. But in the public relations industry, as you mentioned, Kelly, in the U.S., women are making 75 to 82 cents on the dollar of what men make. And of course, women of color are very often earning only 75% of what white people are making in median salaries. For those in the public relations industry, we're looking at women who are 60 to 80% of the industry workforce. So there are just some very key gender disparities that we're looking at, and they're a very big issue when it comes to leadership, especially when we're looking in the boardroom, too. The share of women on boards in the Fortune 500 are about 22% in 2017. I mean, that's up from 9.6% in 1995. So it is moving in a positive direction, but that's still only 22%. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's really, really bad. Also, men are promoted at 30% higher rates than women during early stages of their career. I've witnessed that firsthand. Yeah. I mean, entry-level women are significantly more likely than men to have spent five or more years in the same role. So, you know, women are being passed over for promotions for much longer durations of time. And this is based on Seth's reporting here. And so it's just it's just daunting for, again, the public relations profession in which these problems are only magnified because of the fact that we are a career field of 60 to 80 percent women yeah, across the board. So several years ago, and I've mentioned this on prior podcasts, I wrote about the phenomenon of bro cultures in the advertising industry, somewhat in the tech industry as well, because these male-dominated industries, and it's funny that In the advertising industry, I mean, that is a communications field for sure. Creative services, advertising, certainly it's sort of a sister or brother industry to us in PR. But, you know, it is one that in the agency realm tends to sometimes be far more male dominated. You would think that in the 
PR industry within the agency realm, the agency realm would be far more female dominated. But I, I'm not sure that it bears itself out in the management ranks. You see far more men actually making the decisions. I don't understand why the advertising agency world hasn't caught up with reality. Mm-hmm. And the reality is if women are spending 80% of consumer purchasing dollars, 80% mm-hmm. or directly influencing or directly decisions. influencing yeah. why you don't have more women in leadership roles because we get how women think. We get how women process information. We're a great barometer to what messaging is going to work and what messaging isn't. And I'll give you a perfect example because this just happened this week. So a friend of mine told me that she was in a photo shoot for a whiskey brand. And she and her husband in the photo shoot, an ad agency, which will go unnamed, was producing it. And they had two couples and they're, they're all drinking whiskey. But whenever the final product came out, the women were blurred out in the background. And it was all about the men drinking whiskey. Although we know, if the ad agency doesn't know, then they should, that the fastest growing consumers of distilled spirits, that fastest growing segment is women. But you blurred us out of the background. Somebody needs to be there to, to just say, hey, buddy, yeah. like, hey, bro. You know, maybe Since you respond to maybe that. not so fast. <laughs> like, have you really done your homework? Right. Uh, and and do you want to grow new consumer segments or not? And mm-hmm. so that really gets me riled up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just the playing into the stereotypical thinking or just I think that's the part that becomes over time so offensive yeah. is just this presumption that, oh, we already know how they think. <laughs> Yeah, it makes me just want to rush right out and drink a bourbon straight up and smoke a cigar. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Just for the sake of proving them wrong. <laughs> so the ad agency and creative agencies or creative industries do have to deal with some more male-dominated culture issues like yeah, that. I, I think it's time that they face up and realize that just like having diversity within your ranks, I mean, women are a diverse part of the workforce and how much you have to gain about that. But what about the PR industry? If the PR industry has so many more women working in it, one would think there would be an oasis of equal opportunity, right? But all the stats that you just read from Seth's article Mm -hmm. say otherwise. They do. And of course, my anecdotal experience, you know, our U.S.-based industry association, you know that I'm under a ban right now from the U.S. Yeah, you got kicked off PRSA's forum for asking questions that were legitimate questions about budget and money and a reporting structure. Yeah, they said that the formal reason that I was kicked off the forum was that I was being too challenging. Or they said it could be construed that I was attacking someone because I asked for financial accountability because there were financial statements that were rife with discrepancies. So, you know, what I've experienced is that right now PRSA is in very key leadership positions. It's 
white male dominated. That 100%, right? Well, of those positions that control budget, control policy, we have a white male CEO, CFO, who he basically reports to himself from a staff position. We have a national chair, white male, and, and I'm, a, I'm a white woman, but I'm just trying to talk about this through the lens of diversity because PRSA is always talking about its thought leadership and its posture from a diversity standpoint. Also, our foundation, the PRSA Foundation Charity, which its sole mission is promoting diversity, its president is a white male. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all three of these gentlemen have sent me letters when I have asked them for financial statements, and these are nonprofit organizations. Right. They've all three told me that they reserve the right not to answer my questions because they find my questions too challenging or I am, you know, my questions are not welcome, basically. So what about an annual report? Is there an annual report? There never was by the foundation until I kind of pressed the question and they decided to produce one this year, but they forgot to include any financials. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought that was pretty much the purpose of an I annual report. I thought it was too, but they forgot to do that. So clearly they're trying to hide something, I think. Well, so, so, I mean, these are the issues. It's like when a woman comes forward and, and demands financial information or quantitative information, I guess they don't expect that to come from a woman. And so that's threatening, I suppose. Well, you get labeled as just the crazy woman well, instead of yeah, being I taken mean, seriously for your credentials, which you have amazing credentials. Anybody can go to LinkedIn and, you know, look at Mary Beth West's credentials. And so I don't understand. Well, I'll never understand. Why well, well why I don't either. But well, I think what I'm dealing with and what most objective observers would say is it's part of a demonization campaign. But what my observation is, is that while women very often, broad brushstroke, we very often are stereotyped as kind of mean girls or stab in the back and all of that. My experience in dealing with these gentlemen in leadership of this particular U.S.-based industry association in PR is that I have never in my life experienced so much bait and switch, gaslighting. Basically, you know, when I ask legitimate questions over legitimate concerns, they will bait and switch, tell me they're going to give me information one day, then reverse course the next day and tell me something completely different and then label me hostile or hysterical, hysterical later. And I mean, this kind of psychological, psycho labeling. Psychological warfare. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very, we're talking very kind of sinister stuff from, from my vantage point that I'm experiencing. I've really tried to document it, not so much that I think that I can change anything with the culture anymore, but I just want it kind of documented, and I've written some LinkedIn blogs so that in future years, when this comes up as a case study, people can understand really what happened. But it ends up in, the, in a textbook somewhere. I, I mean, I really think it's going to one day. It may not be next year or, you know, in the near future, but I think it's going to end up being something that in the future, people really try to look at what happened here and learn from it. Because at this point, I think it is a gender-driven issue and one that as we look at this conversation about gender in public relations and how women are 
in a very under the radar kind of way, held back or discredited in unfair ways and ways that are meant to try to discredit legitimate concerns. It's a real culture issue that's paramount to how the culture of the profession is. And I think it's a big reason why we're not respected as a profession. But we're doing the lion's share of the work. Right. Because we're the lion's share of the workforce. (laughs) So, I mean, that just pisses me off. It's the grand irony. It is the grand irony. But I will say this about women in PR. I have found the women in our industry, for the most part, to be very supportive and uplifting of other women in the industry. Many, many are. I I would absolutely validate that. I mean, it's not 100%. And you're not going to have 100%. Exactly. But compared to other professions and other people I know and what they go through with working with other women in different professions, and I've heard horror stories, and I'm like, you know, I really get along with all of our competitors. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And so, and I think that speaks highly of us as women. We're in a communication profession. We should be able to communicate with each other. We should be able to deflect any kind of misunderstanding. And just, we have to lift each other up as women. I don't care if we're competing against each other, if we are trying to impact some political change. I mean, we... We have got to band together more because otherwise we're going to be reading another article in PR News five or 10 years from now, and it's going to say the same crap. Or worse. Or worse. And it's just, we have to stand up for ourselves. We need to demand more money. We need to demand promotions. And we need to take more credit for the campaigns and the successes and the results and the ROI that we're getting for businesses and organizations. Fully agree. And I think the overarching theme to all of that, both the issues that I've voiced and certainly these larger strategic themes that you've just voiced, is that we have got to push forward a culture of accountability for our profession that has just been missing and yes, that, absolutely. Yeah, and, and our industry association is completely at odds with that culture right now. And until we stand up against that, we're continuously going to be shooting ourselves in the foot. So that's my call to action as we wrap up the chat here and look toward the future. I think that we have a real call to action ahead of us is that we have to hold ourselves accountable we have to hold others accountable. And as an industry, that's the mantra. Well, my call to action would be, if you're in the profession, it's a wake-up call about which trade organizations you want to give your money to, how you want to participate in those, how you want to be affiliated with them. Because until all this happened, it was just like, oh, I just, you know, I just write a check. I don't yeah. know what's going on. I've never really looked into it. I've never explored it. So I think whether you're in PR or any other profession, you need to hold your trade organizations accountable and really pay attention to what they're doing. So I'll get off my high horse now. And well, this is one conversation I'm glad we had. Yeah, it is. It is. (laughs) I'm so excited to be alive to celebrate a centennial milestone in in my adult lifetime. Me too. Women's right to vote in a country that I love and will always love and I will never, ever take for granted in any way. I and mean, if you look at some third world countries and other places where women are just 
completely marginalized and oh, just we're we're lucky to live in yeah. this country as women, even though we have a long way to go, yeah. which is was the key message. And as public relations professionals, we need to face these issues head on. I agree. And we want our listeners to chime in on this conversation, too. So I hope PR industry professionals who are hearing this will think about what they've seen and experienced in their own careers, that they will share their ideas at the hashtag misinterpreted, and that's hashtag MS interpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the PR. And please follow us at Twitter handle at Fletcher PR. You can also follow me at Twitter at KD Fletcher and Mary Beth at Mary Beth West. And don't forget our Twitter chats. And we announce those routinely on Twitter using the hashtag misinterpreted. We love having direct dialogue with our growing base of followers. So give us a shout anytime. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. Vote, vote, vote. Make those sisters who fought for our right to vote proud. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 